1: So I'm just going to leave it there. want to be uh, prudent here. This is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what my colleagues at the White House Council shared with all of you as well.
2: Not really many answers there, but a lot of questions yeah. about classified documents and a lot of no comments from the White House. Good morning, everyone. Poppy is off today. It's Caitlin and I in New York City. But we've got a lot to cover in Washington. So you could be in Washington again today with all the news. We that's brought
3: Washington there. here, basically. <laughs> There's so much news.
2: Well, obviously, we're talking about President Biden's legal team finding another batch of classified documents. A new revelation now intensifying Republicans' attacks on the president.
3: Also, Congressman George Santos is under pressure to resign from members of his own party. Hear him respond in his own words.
2: And Kevin McCarthy's side deals already going into effect. A handful of detractors now on top committee assignments. Who got the sweet end of the deal? We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to begin with the fallout from the second batch of classified documents found by President Biden's legal team at a separate location used by Biden after his time as vice president. It presents a growing political crisis for the president and for Democrats. The latest revelation fueling Republicans claims that the that Donald Trump is being targeted, receiving unfair treatment as he's being investigated by a special counsel over classified material found at Mar-a-Lago. It is a huge opening for the new pro-Trump House majority, now poised to investigate Democrats, though insist that Biden and Trump cases are not one and the same. senator Paula Reed live in Washington. Paula, was a different story yesterday, a different story the day before, and now here we go again. It is growing. What do we expect to know um, about these documents in this second batch? What are we finding out?
4: Well, we don't know much, and part of that is because the White House is making a strategic decision not to get out in front of this matter, and as you saw at the briefing there, not to answer questions and instead to let things leak out through the media. Now, here's what we've learned from our reporting, and that is that Biden attorneys have found a second set of documents that include classified information at a second location. The first location, of course, was an office here in D.C. As we've reported, Biden's lawyers were clearing out that office back in November, uncovered, what we've learned were 10 classified documents, including information about Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom, and those included top secret documents. Now, we've learned that was only known by a small group of advisors, but once they made that discovery, that prompted them to search other locations. But at this point, we have so many questions about this new batch. Of what is in them? How many were they? Were there? Where were they located? And the biggest question right now Is this it? The White House has been very careful not to say definitively that that first batch that was discovered was all there was. But also another big question right now, not for us, but for Attorney General Merrick Garland, whether or not to appoint a special counsel to just take this on. But the fact that we now have documents in more than one location, that seems to strongly lean in favor of appointing a special counsel. But that's a decision for him. And who knows when we'll get that answer.
2: And of course, as we said, the GOP is pouncing. Paul Reed, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And now this.
5: Yes, I will not. Yes, we're
6: we're gonna, guys, gonna, We're
7: going to need a little bit of need we need we a
8: little bit of space here. The New York style. Republicans are calling you a, a disgrace. You will not resign Why, Why won't you run the New
7: York Republicans? I'm going to resign at the elevator. Excuse us.
3: Wow. That is life on Capitol Hill for one of New York's newest congressmen, George Santos, who is under growing pressure from members of his own party as home state to resign this morning. The pressure is not just coming from Democrats, as we've noted, it's Republicans in Congress and his home district on Long Island, who now say that they do believe he is not fit to serve.
9: George Santos's campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, and fabrication. He's disgraced the House of Representatives, and we do not consider him one of our Congress people. Today, on behalf of the Nassau County Republican Committee, I am calling for his immediate resignation. Those calls
3: for his resignation come as we are now getting a look at his fabrications in black and white. This is a copy of the resume that Santos submitted to the Nassau County Republican Committee in 2020. It's been obtained by The New York Times. It says that he doubled revenue growth at Goldman Sachs, which did did not happen. The company says it has no record of him actually working there. It actually says he graduated college with a nearly perfect GPA from Baruch. That also never happened. Same with the MBA that he claims he has. Also not real. So let's bring in CNN's Jessica Dean this morning. She is live on Capitol Hill where you just saw George Santos facing those questions about whether or not he's going to resign. But the big question, of course, Jessica, is what congressional leaders are saying. What is Kevin McCarthy saying about whether or not he should step down
7: from his new role? Well, good morning, Caitlin. Kevin McCarthy talking about this yesterday, really saying that it's up to the voters to decide that they elected George Santos, that he wants to stand by the Constitution, uh, that it is up the vote up to the voters to decide, and that he is likely to serve on some of these less prominent committees to actually get committee seats. So that's what leadership is saying. They've also said they want to deal with this internally. But the facts are that the calls this morning for his resignation continue to grow, and as you just laid out, these aren't just Democrats. And just to give. Every everyone the big picture right now. Here's what we know. Federal prosecutors are looking into George Santos's finances. We know that in the nation of Brazil, they have reopened a fraud case against him. Two House Democrats from New York have filed a formal House ethics complaint against him. We know that there's been an FEC a complaint filed against him. So there is more and more of this coming out every day. And now we are hearing from House Republicans who are calling on him to resign as well. I'll let you listen to a couple of them.
10: If you want to talk about election fraud, then we could look no further than New York's third
11: congressional district right now. The fact that uh, he claimed that he was Jewish, uh, that he had family who uh, escaped the Holocaust, that's just not something that I can tolerate.
7: And again, the Nassau County GOP there in his home state of New York calling on him to resign, as you said earlier, and really just laying it out that they don't want to be associated, Caitlin, with him at all and you saw that scrum there at the beginning that you played I was in that we ran after him down the hall he simply would just say I will not resign and then seemed generally annoyed that we would be even asking him why this is a problem or why he would resign they he even lied about being on the volleyball team at Brew College I just (laughs) that
3: he led to a championship I mean it just never ends and I know your questions won't either Jessica Dean thank you so much (laughs) yeah
2: well, it is time for the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, to make good on promises made to Republican hardliners who initially opposed his nomination. His election, after a historic five-day 15-ballot fight came with a list of concessions made to GOP holdouts in exchange for their support. Now some of those deals are going into effect. And let's talk about it now with CNN's senior political analyst, anchor and CNN's senior political analyst, John Avalon. He's here with me now. So how are these? Good morning to you. How are these concessions playing out? All
12: right. Well, let's first of all remember, these are the core holdouts, the 20 or so holdouts, vast majority election deniers. These are the folks who took the floor fight for Kevin McCarthy back to a standard we haven't seen since before the Civil War. Already, we're seeing rewards coming to these folks. Right. So six members of these holdout groups getting plum positions on the Appropriations Committee, including Andrew Clyde, described January 6th as a tourism day at the Capitol and Financial Services Committee. Very powerful committees. But let's also take a look at the key concessions. These are just some of them. This is the deals that Kevin McCarthy made to finally get the votes across. Right. So first of all. Any member can call a motion to vacate the Speaker's chair. Freedom Caucus representatives, many of whom are on that page, increased representation on key committees. This is the debt ceiling we've been talking so much about. Right? This is a sign of coming attractions. We're going to have a collision course. Discretionary spending at 22, 22 levels. Weapon Committee to investigate the weaponization of the federal government. And, of course, 72 hours to review bills before they come to the floor, which sounds common sense but can gum up the works.
2: i got to ask you about this. From a prominent Republican, um, I, I got this note that says, Representatives Clyde and Cloud were appointed mm-hmm. to the Appropriations Committee. These guys were rewarded for bad behavior during the Speaker's vote. This is a stunning uh, and, and part of a handshake deal between the holdouts i won't use the word that they use he said nuts and mccarthy i'll say nuts and mccarthy which they will never admit to publicly what do you think about that do you believe that's true
12: well here's the evidence that it's true you're talking to a source in the republican conference who's saying this is happening it is already happening we got to say the committee assignments aren't even fully been doled out yet but to see folks who put kevin mccarthy in the country really through that kind of chaos get rewarded with appropriations it's a very big deal Um, what I also want to do, this is sort of a bonus, is look at where independent voters say what the Republicans in Congress should be focusing on. Remember, independent voters, they're the plurality in American politics. They're the folks who actually swung towards Democrats this cycle. So Republicans got to keep their wishes in mind. Interestingly, now, 71 percent of independents say in this new CBS poll that they want Republicans in the House to work with Bidens and Dems to enact policies that everyone can agree on right? Come together. By the way, incidentally, they say the same thing about Democrats in the Senate. They say 67% say protecting Social Security. 65% of independents say support USA to Ukraine. Far from a done deal. 59% say reducing crime. Those are high numbers. Those are high numbers. Take a look, though. Border. Only 25% say investigating Hunter Biden. Only 20% say restricting abortion access. And only 10% of independent voters say Republicans in the House should focus on loyalty to Donald Trump. So there's a disconnect there that goes to the heart of their political problems. John Avlon. Thank you very much, we appreciate it. Caitlin?
3: Yeah, turning to another story this morning, it has now been 12 days since she disappeared and there is still no sign of the Massachusetts mother of three, Anna Walsh. As the search is intensifying for her, investigators are turning their focus to her husband's past. Court documents show that Brian Walsh was described as a sociopath and untrustworthy during a 2019 legal dispute over his father's estate. CNN's Jason Jason Carroll is live in Massachusetts this morning for CNN This Morning. Mm -hmm. Jason, I know that they are basically going through essentially every part of his past with a fine-tooth comb. He's pleaded guilty, not guilty, to a charge Mm -hmm. of misleading investigators about his whereabouts around the time she disappeared You know, what are they looking at right now and where actually is he right now?
13: Well, right now, he is in custody, state custody, uh, where he will remain until we get more information about uh, how that investigation is proceeding. Uh, you were talking about those court documents. Uh, really, uh, after combing through a number of those court documents, Caitlin, there were a number of red flags there that we saw uh, where basically Brian Walsh was accused back in 2019 of stealing money from his father and being prone to violence. As investigators are now in the process of testing items that could be connected to the disappearance of Anna Walsh, a clearer picture is emerging of her husband, Brian, and his troubled financial past. Court documents show he was involved in a bitter legal battle over his father, Thomas Walsh's, estate. Friends, as well as Walsh's nephew, alleging in signed affidavits the elder Walsh and his son had been estranged for years after Brian Walsh absconded with almost $1 million from Dr. Thomas Walsh. Court records also say because of the alleged theft, it required Dr. Thomas Walsh to continue working past the age at which he had wished to retire, as a significant amount of his savings were stolen and never returned. And that's part of the reason why these court documents say Walsh's father cut his only son out of his will in the years before his death. In 2018, despite that, Walsh took steps to take control of his father's estate, while saying in a sworn affidavit he and his father had been estranged several times over the years, but says they mended their relationship. Ultimately, Walsh's legal efforts were unsuccessful. A judge ruled against him. But those same documents revealed more information about Walsh's past, including that at some point he had checked himself into a mental health facility. His father's friends calling him a sociopath and court documents dated in 2019, saying Brian is not only a sociopath, but also a very angry and physically violent person. I want nothing to do with him. These allegations surfaced years before Walsh pleaded guilty to federal charges of selling fake Andy Warhol paintings. The victim of the fake sales saying Walsh was guilty very convincing.
11: He was very calculated, um, almost genius
14: about how he went about things.
13: That troubled pass only increasing the scrutiny around the disappearance of his wife. A bloody knife found inside the family home, law enforcement sources telling CNN a hacksaw, and cloth materials with apparent bloodstains found at a nearby trash facility. The couple's friends say nothing seemed out of the ordinary during a New Year's Eve celebration, but now coming to terms with what could be the outcome they had feared.
3: I keep praying that in all these trash facilities, that facility that she's not found there, and really so that, you know, we do have somewhere to go to to honor her and, like, and for her children to have somewhere to go to honor her. If
13: someone did do something to Anna Walsh in Massachusetts, the law does not necessarily require prosecutors to show a motive for a crime.
1: Prosecutors like to be able to show a motive. Uh, Again, I think it makes more sense to people if there is a motive. But as a matter of law, it's not required to prove a motive in most cases.
13: And Caitlin, obviously, there is a great deal of concern for Anna Walsh's three children. Right now, they are in the custody of the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families. Meanwhile, the park where I'm standing right now, this will be the scene of a a candlelight vigil for Anna Walsh. That will be later this afternoon. Caitlin?
3: We're thinking of our friends and family. Jason Carroll, thank you so much.
2: It's
13: just awful. It really is.
2: Especially the kids involved. It's just, as you said, friends and family. I can't imagine what they're going through. I
3: know, and it's three sons ages two to six. They're so young. (sighs) Uh, Still ahead this morning, there may be a rough Wednesday for Wall Street. Two major firms are laying off employees. We'll tell you what it could mean for you, for Main Street.
2: And we're going to speak with a New York Republican state senator, adding her voice to the chorus, calling for George Santos to resign.
5: New York Republicans called on Congressman George Santos to resign, and Santos responded saying he won't. But since it's Santos, that means
2: he will. Maybe. (laughs) More CNN this morning to come after the break.
15: He is the antithesis of what every person behind me and next to me is. It is a great stain on the Republican Party of Nassau County today that he worked with us he does not represent our values, our commitment to be honest, hardworking government servant servants.
3: It's the strongest condemnation from Republicans so far, of freshman Congressman George Santos, over his many lies to voters. State and county Republicans in New York are calling on Santos to resign just days after he was sworn into office. At the national level, though, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has resisted calls to push him out of Congress and even saying that Santos is likely to get a low tier, lower tier at least, committee assignment. Joining us now is one of the New York Republicans that you just heard from, State Senator Patricia Canzaneri-Fitzpatrick, who is calling on George Santos to resign. Good morning, Senator, and thank you for joining us on this really important issue. I I wonder, do you believe that George Santos has violated public trust
15: Good morning, Caitlin. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, we put ourselves out there. We campaign on our background, our credentials, and why we believe that we would be an effective representative of a district. Uh, everything that George Santos told us is false. His resume, right from the, the smallest things of you know, whether or not he graduated college, is completely false that we now know. And that's what people looked at and used as determination of whether or not to vote for him. So the most basic um, comments and things that he made even about being Jewish, Those have uh, formulated every voter's decision. And, yes, I believe he has violated that trust by not giving us accurate information.
3: Yeah, we're looking at this resume that's been obtained by The New York Times. And you're right. It seems like almost every single thing on it is a lie. Talks about working at Goldman Sachs. He obviously didn't do that. But he even he told people he played on the championship winning volleyball team at a college that he did not go to. We've now learned. I, I wonder, are you concerned that there is more he's lied about?
15: Uh, I agree, because that's that's not something that a voter would look at to determine whether or not to vote for him. So why did he feel the need to come up with those, those embellishments, as he's called them, but they're outright lies? Why did, did he feel the need to come up with a story about being Jewish, about his ancestors escaping the Holocaust? Those are extremely offensive, and I think— um, those have to be um, viewed very, very harshly. But there are so many things he didn't have to tell us. He, he made up lies that had no bearing on his qualifications. And then you have to wonder what else is he lying about?
3: I wonder if Republicans vetted him enough. Did, do you feel like you vetted him enough? And does this change how the Republican Party in New York is going to look at candidates going forward?
15: Uh, absolutely. Um, Chairman Joe Cairo from the Nassau County Republican Club has absolutely taken responsibility for the fact that, um, that he should have vetted him differently. Um, we received resumes, uh, for George Santos in 2020 from the Queens County Republican Club. We took it as a, um, a sort of a, an endorsement from, from Queens that they had vetted him and that they believed he was qualified. Um, unfortunately, um, we now know that he lied about even the most basic things. And I know that my county and my chairman is absolutely going to change the process when they have new candidates um, to to vet for, for these positions. I mean, certainly we get a resume, we interview them by a panel. Um, you know, I was vetted... Um, by you know, interviewed by five six people before I ever was a candidate uh, for the Nassau GOP, and I, I know that we will have to change that uh, procedure to make sure this never happens again, uh, because this is certainly very troubling.
3: Do you want to see Speaker Kevin McCarthy back up your calls for George Santos to resign?
15: I do. I think that uh, he has an obligation to make sure that the 3rd Congressional District is represented by an honest person and a person of his word. How will we ever trust anything that George Santos says going forward uh, based on on what's gone on? And I think the Congressional District deserves a better representative.
3: One of the concerns that Republicans on Capitol Hill that I've spoken to have is that basically if they do say he should resign and he does resign, that then there's going to be a special election and it's a swing district and they're worried Mm -hmm. Democrats could pick up that seat. Are there backup Republican candidates that you have in mind that could run if George Santos does resign?
15: I I don't think that that has been considered yet. The seat is not vacant. Um, If it does come to fruition that he's... The seat is vacant. Then then we'll look for qualified candidates. Um, But as of right now, I I know there's been some names thrown around, but I I don't believe that anybody is being considered uh, seriously at this point because the seat has has not been vacated yet.
3: Yeah. Well, if someone does, we will look at their resume. New York State Senator Patricia Canzaniere Uh Fitzpatrick. Thank you for joining us this morning on these really important uh, perspectives. Thank you, Caitlin.
2: I commend her for what she's doing, for standing up. It would be great if Kevin McCarthy had the backbone to do exactly what she's doing.
3: And you know, one thing that he says is, well, the voters elected him to serve. But yeah, but they elected him based on a mountain based of lies. Lie. You know, based they didn't. It's not like they elected him knowing he had lied. We
2: we're looking at this resume, wondering: is there anything accurate on this resume? Is it? Is anything it's real? A you don't question. know. Fair question.
3: Yeah. All right. Also, this morning, House Republicans have proposed a bill. They actually passed a bill that would. They're proposing a bill that would abolish the IRS after calling on rescinding that funding that passed as part of that bill last fall for thousands of new IRS agents. What that would mean for you, the taxpayers, ahead.
15: And
2: new this morning, the nurses' strike in New York is over. What we're learning about the deal that is bringing off the picket line uh, and back to hospitals, bringing them off the picket line and back to hospitals. (laughs) Welcome back to CNN This Morning, everyone. Coming up, Wall Street cutting thousands of jobs in the latest string of layoffs. What's behind the move? Plus, the suspect in the University of Idaho killings set to appear in court today. What to expect? That's ahead. And experts are warning, tap water isn't safe to use with home medical devices. The dangers that lie ahead and how to stay safe.
3: A brutal day for Wall Street, not the market itself, but for the thousands of people actually working on the street. BlackRock and Goldman Sachs are the latest major companies to cut jobs. Goldman is expected to lay off more than 3,000 employees this week, we are told. More than a third of the layoffs are coming from their trading and banking sectors. BlackRock, which, as you know, is the world's largest asset manager, is cutting some 500 jobs. The layoffs aren't likely to be the last across Wall Street, as other major firms are adjusting to this new economic reality that we're living in. Everyone is bracing for 8.30 this morning when we are going to get those key inflation numbers and the new jobless claims as well.
2: Okay, this one is interesting because House Republicans have introduced a bill that would abolish the Internal Revenue Service. The legislation would replace the current tax code with a sales tax and eliminate all personal and corporate income taxes, the death tax and the payroll tax. The bill is unlikely to pass, but it comes Just two days after every Republican in the new majority voted to pass another bill targeting IRS funding, House Republicans claim that they are just trying to stop the IRS from snooping on hardworking Americans. This was Jake. I want you to listen to this. Uh, Jake Tapper's exchange with Republican Congressman Mike Johnson about that claim.
11: The intent of hiring all these new agents would have the effect of going after hardworking families and small businesses. Why not just be honest about what the bill would actually do? It's. it's I am it, honest. You said eighty-seven
16: thousand IRS agents. That's not Jake, what it
11: is, Jake. That is exactly what it is. That is the Treasury's own published report in 2021 that they said, as you noted, over a 10-year period, they wanted to add eighty-six thousand eight hundred and something employees, agents. and not agents. Employees. Oh, J- Jake, you know what all those positions are going to be? Have you seen that analysis? So you're saying every one of the 86,000-plus is going to be an IRS agent? I'm not saying every one of them, but I'm saying a large percentage of those will be IRS employees who are deemed as agents to go after and do audits. CNN's Chief Business Correspondent, (laughs) Christine Romans, is here. Good morning to you. She's like sitting
2: here
6: going, uh... (laughs) what is, what, what? The first act of the new House Republicans is to pass a bill based on a demonstrable falsehood. There is no army of 87,000 IRS agents coming after American families and small businesses. What this is, it's crucial new funding to get the IRS up to speed. There are 1.4 million backlog right now of last year's tax returns still need to be done. If you tried to call the IRS last tax season, you didn't get through. They've hired about 5,000 new customer service agents. They need to hire IT people. They need to modernize uh, the IRS. There will be 50, 52,000 IRS agents, uh, employees actually, uh, uh, retiring over the next five years. They need to replace those. Some of this 87,000 will go To that. We're talking about people who answer phones. It also takes four or five years, do you know, to train an IRS agent to be able to do high level uh, tax returns. And so far, the super rich are skating by. The IRS can't audit all of the super rich people who are underreporting their income to the tunes of hundreds of billions of dollars a year. In 2010, 21% of tax returns uh, for people who make $10 million or higher. Were audited. Now it's just 3.9%. I have like 50 thoughts on this, but one of those is the former
3: president himself who did not get audited, and the IRS said it was basically because they were understaffed. (laughs) And the audit, as the last time we checked when we were talking to Stacey Plaskett on the show, the audit of Trump's taxes still was not done. But what you said there is so important because it is 87,000 employees. They're not agents who are like this army. But when you call the IRS, they do not answer the phone. Yeah. And last year, only 13% of 173 million
6: calls actually got through to somebody. And I needed to talk to the IRS last year. And it was maddening for me and for so many people. And think of all of the changes in the law during COVID, the tax changes, tax breaks, tax rebates, all these things that have to be addressed by an IRS that, by the way, has some 70,000 employees right now down dramatically from its peak uh, of EVV like 10 years ago. So you've got fewer people, you've got creaky infrastructure, you need IT upgrades, and you've got House Republicans saying there's this army going to come after small business. No, it's about being able to audit the super-rich and just get the jobs done.
2: <laughs> I'm not. I'm staying away from you this morning. One what did we- you have in your car? Call- go ahead. <laughs> did you want
6: to?
3: Don's I- I- <laughs> I- afraid of me. <laughs> I like your <a> passion. <laughs> but we should also tell people this is not going to go anywhere. It's not going to pass. No, it's not. It's- I mean, it might pass. Yeah, what the house, would they replace
2: going- it? What would they even replace the tax code with? Is so it-
6: there's, yeah. the other the other thing is they want to talk about just like some kind of a consumption tax, and that's yeah. that's another bill that is is not going to go anywhere either. But. You know, it's, it must pull well. Hating on the IRS must pull well. It's not good policy, right, because you need the IRS so you can get money so that you can, you know, lower your trade deficit, your, your budget deficit. But. OK.
2: Thank you,
9: Christine.
6: Todd's <laughs> scared of you right now. <laughs> Thank you. All
3: right. New this morning, 7000 nurses who were on strike in New York City are going to be back on the job because they have now reached a tentative deal with two of private hospitals. The strike was over staffing and pay disrupted patient care over the past three days. The New York State Nurses Association says the new new deals they believe are a historic breakthrough after demanding adequate staffing for decades. The new rules we are told will take place effective immediately at both hospitals.
2: So did the suspect in the University of Idaho killing study criminology to learn how to commit a crime? We're going to talk to a former FBI agent about it. Plus this.
13: I want to switch places with Kyle. I don't want to be here. I want
17: Kyle to
3: be here. I wish Kyle was the one that was rescued. That's the California mom of the little boy who was swept away in floodwaters. She's now speaking out and talking about how she's coping. That's next. One of the deadliest disasters in the history of our state. That's what one California official is calling, this historic series of storms that you have seen that have been lashing California for the last two weeks. Here's what we know right now. At least 18 people so far have died. About 4 million people are currently under flood watches. As yet another atmospheric river, as it's known, is set to bring even more rain. The sheriff's office in hard-hit Monterey counties now says that the peninsula could become an island as the Salinas River rises the mother of the missing five-year-old Kyle Doan is speaking out after he was ripped from her arms amid the raging floodwaters.
13: I want to switch places with
3: Kyle. I don't want to be here. I want Kyle to be here. I wish Kyle was the one that was rescued. Authorities, including more than 100 National Guard members, are searching for him. Forecasters predict that four more atmospheric rivers are expected to hit California in just the next 10 days.
2: Oh, just awful. we want to turn to Idaho now, where the suspect accused of killing four University of Idaho students is expected to appear in court this morning. Brian Koberger is charged with four counts of first-degree murder and has yet to enter a plea. At today's hearing, attorneys will discuss how they plan to move forward. Koberger remains in custody without bail. His attorney says his client should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise. So joining us now to talk about this, criminologist and former FBI agent Brianna Fox. She also wrote the recent New York Times op-ed titled, Was the Idaho Murder Suspect Studying Criminology to Learn How to Commit a Crime? That is a very good question. Brianna, good morning to you. Thank you so much. So you say that there are thousands of criminologists in the United States and I'm not aware of a single one who has ever been accused of committing a heinous crime like this. Does that answer the question about connections between the Idaho suspect's alleged actions and his
1: schooling?
18: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I understand why people would jump to conclusions and assume that the reason he was studying criminology to somehow improve his ability to commit these crimes and to essentially learn to become a better killer. That's the fact he did. But I don't believe that's the case. That's not what we do in studying criminology. It's not what we train students to do. And I think it's really just a coincidence. Well, and I think a lot of this has to do with you know shows like CSI
1: that,
3: that make people see this and they go, oh, well, that's why he was studying that. You, know, you actually talk about how criminology is actually a reason that is, it's led to many breakthroughs In the rates of crime and incarceration, the ways it's helped. But you can see why people draw those two connections. So, you know, what is the way that you're, you know, pushing back on that, saying that that's actually not what the the thinking should be here?
18: Exactly. And people make those assumptions all the time when I tell them I'm a criminologist. Um, And so I've learned this over the years, but I try to address it by saying Criminology is the reason why we've had these scientific breakthroughs that have helped us to reduce crime. The goal of a criminologist is actually to prevent crime. We're not forensic scientists. We're not uh, all profilers or studying serial killers like people assume. In fact, we study um, a lot of the crimes that impact the most amount of Americans and people around the world every day, things like cybercrime, fraud, uh, things that we really try to make an impact on through research, evidence-based work, and policies and prevention strategies.
2: All right. Just, just one more. Can we just talk to because you mentioned the CSI effect, right, we were talking about. I think that's important since you wrote about that. Our very own expert here, John Miller, talked about, um, I think he was on the day before yesterday, and we talked about um, how long people thought it was taking to solve this case, but there were things that were happening behind the scenes. I mean, people think it's going to be solved in an hour episode, right? Uh, Much like Law & Order, they think a court case is going to be solved in an hour episode. It is not like that. Do you think that's affecting, seriously affecting the public's perception? Because they're like, what's going on? Why hasn't this been solved? Where's, before Koberger, why isn't there a suspect in custody already?
18: Absolutely. And this is something that we hear from prosecutors, police, um, everybody who's in the criminal justice system reports that this is something they face all the time, um, misperceptions about the way the criminal justice system works, how fast it's supposed to uh, happen. Um, and we see this sort of ble- bleeding over into criminology, where we are expected to uh, be you know, studying or training our students to operate a certain way. And it's just not true. So I was writing this op-ed specifically to try to address those myths, so people could learn more about our field and what we do, and whether or not there's any association with studying criminology and committing crimes. Um, you know, there's one case out of you know thousands of criminologists. It seems like a very tenuous uh, association at best. Yeah, Brianna Fox, really important distinction
3: that you drew there. Thank you for for shedding some light on that.
18: Thank you
3: for having me. All right. There's a new study from the CDC this morning that says many people believe tap water can safely be used for medical devices. But this is wrong. And actually, they say it's dangerous. We'll tell you why.
2: Plus, a system failure at the FAA causing more than 10,000 flight delays and over 1,300 cancellations. We now know what happened behind the scenes and we'll tell you.
3: All right, in a new CDC survey, a third of people wrongly believe tap water, this includes me, can be used safely for home medical devices. Tap water though is not sterile and using it in things like a neti pot, a humidifier, or even to clean your contact lenses can cause serious and potentially deadly infections. Joining us now on this news, what to do, how to stay safe, is CNN's medical correspondent, Dr. Tara Narula.
2: I've done all of it. Good these, morning. By
3: the way. Yeah, and Don's like, one, <laughs> two, <laughs> guilty, bad, guilty, yeah. guilty. Oh, no. Okay, but a humidifier, you cannot put tap water in that because everyone just uses the sink to. F-
19: I I am guilty of that as well. Um, And I feel terrible for my children because now I've exposed them (laughs) to something bad. But yes, we all think about tap water as being safe. And it is safe when it comes to drinking and cooking. It's essentially treated for that purpose. But what happens is it's not treated to get rid of all the microorganisms. It is not sterile. And so in the pipes, in wells and plumbing systems, there can live microorganisms, what we call biofilm. Uh, And if you use it in your eyes or inhale it uh, through a humidifier, or machines like a CPAP machine or vaporizers, or you put it up your nose with things like a neti pot. It can potentially increase your risk for serious infections. You may have heard of some cases of the brain-eating amoebas and people who use neti pots, oh um, or amoebic infections of the eye. These are rare, uh, but that cause blindness. So we don't want to scare people, but it is important to really raise awareness around this. And, and as you mentioned in this survey that they did of about a thousand people in 2021, about one third thought incorrectly that tap water did not contain living organisms. And about 60% thought it was okay to use in a humidifier, uh, I'm sorry, for nasal rinses with a neti pot, about 50% for contact lenses, and 40% for uh, so CPAP machines. E-
2: even with, with filtered water. water, like there's a, I have a thing on my on my sink that has filtered, but still, it's yeah. still tap. Someone Don't
19: asked me it. that yesterday. No, yeah, those filters are not uh, meant to essentially filter out things like parasites. Oh, wow. There are filters you can buy, that are, have pores or holes smaller than one micron, and those would potentially be helpful. So
2: I would imagine she has this sitting here for a reason.
19: Right? Yes, I do. So <laughs> so not to, to, to give you some information about what you can do, first of all, you can go to the store and you can buy sterile water right, um, or distilled water. Now, distilled water is the most pure. It's going to have no inorganic, organic minerals or active organisms, sterile water. You still have some minerals, but you're getting rid of any organisms. So either of those are good options. You can also also boil water for about a minute or a couple of minutes and then let it cool. And that water would be sterile to use. Uh, And these are the devices we're talking about or the things we're talking about, things like humidifiers. So many parents use these. So many people use these CPAP machines for sleep apnea. Neti pots, now I've never used this, but a lot of people do and swear by them. And then contacts, which all of us wear. Um, You don't want to rinse your contacts with, again, tap water. So obviously either the solution you can buy or one of these other options that we mentioned. So food for thought this so morning. I stopped using,
2: I <laughs> went to the eye doctor, and I'm using, we don't like to have red eyes on television.
19: Right? Yeah. So we
2: use eye drops. I was using them every day, and had, that's bad. So I started rinsing my eyes under the tap.
4: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> every morning? You want to yeah. see this story? It's <laughs> probably
3: you? worse now. The CDC is going to be like, Don. <laughs>
2: Don, don't do that. Oh, boy. All right, All right, this is
3: really good you. to know, doctor. Yeah. Thank you so much thank for, you, doctor. for that. Thank setting. you, doctor. Thank
2: you. I appreciate it. President Biden now under scrutiny for his handling of classified documents as Republicans call for a special counsel to investigate.
3: Also, after months of setbacks on the battlefield in Ukraine, Russia is getting a new military commander for the war. We're live and Ukraine will tell you who it is just ahead. More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
8: My sense is the administration has done everything right upon finding that these documents were in the wrong place. Um, obviously, it would have been better had it not happened in the first place. Um, but they've certainly dealt with it the right way.
2: Well, we'll see, because not really answering many questions. Good morning, everyone. Poppy is off today. I'm Don Lemon. This is Caitlin Collins. She's not in D.C. Don't adjust her television sets.
3: I'm back here, but in D.C., a lot of Democrats are like, okay, great, now we have to answer questions about these classified documents. There's still questions around it, and obviously they're very but they're different. shaking
2: their heads like, oh, my gosh, this is an unforced error, right? Yeah, it's
3: a headache for them. Yeah.
2: So good morning, everyone. We're glad you could join us. There are new questions this morning over President Biden's handling of classified documents where a second batch of materials were found.
3: Also, freshman Republican Congressman George Santos is defiant in the face of mounting calls for him to step down, but lawmakers and his own party are saying.
2: And major disruption, how a corrupt file led to the system failure at the FAA, grounding flights nationwide.
3: But we're going to start with the growing fallout that is facing the White House this morning after now a second batch of classified documents have been discovered in a separate location that is linked to President Biden, dating back to his time as vice president. This, of course, is after that initial discovery of classified materials in his former office at a Washington think tank. Republicans, of course, are using this. They have a new majority on Capitol Hill. Now they are calling for a special counsel to oversee this matter, similar to the one that is doing that for former President Trump and the documents he took from office. There are a lot of questions. So far, though, not a ton of answers.
1: So I'm just going to leave it there, we want to be uh, prudent here. This is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what the, my colleagues at the White House counsel shared with all of you as well.
19: The president's saying that he was surprised to learn about these documents. Is he saying that he did not bring those documents to that office? I'm
1: just not going to go beyond what the president said. Do we
7: know who did bring those documents I'm not. I'm office? not going to go beyond what the president
1: said. But you're
3: said. saying... MJ Lee is live at the White House for CNN this morning. MJ, The White House seems to be saying, we're going to tell you more at the right time. But it's not really clear when that time is going to be, when they will fill in the gaps here of those questions like what Cecilia was just asking there.
20: Yeah, Caitlin, there is so much that the White House is not saying right now. I'm. You saw right there uh, yesterday at the White House press briefing, the press secretary uh, dodging question after question and really just declining to share anything new. And the White House so far has not commented at all on the second batch of talk- documents that you mentioned. So the list of questions of unanswered questions is really growing, including why the White House didn't disclose to the public the discovery of the first uh, classified batch of documents going back to November. We know that aides around the president have been scouring different locations to see if anything uh, had been overlooked. Uh, We don't know uh, sort of the details of who put the classified documents in that private office in the first place. Uh, And then on the second batch of documents, of course, just the details of where were they found, uh, who put them there. We just don't know the answers to all of these questions. And I think one of the biggest questions for going forward is, uh, will there be additional Uh, batches of documents that are eventually found and that we learn about. And of course, as you said, the politics of this is really huge. Republicans are already promising that they are going to add this to the growing list of uh, issues that they are prepared to investigate. Yeah, and they're not really commenting
3: on the second batch. I mean, they did comment on the first one, though, and they said where they confirmed where they were found. They confirmed uh, that it was a small number. There are still questions about this. The other thing I think is what Republicans are saying is that there should be a special counsel here. Is that something that the White Hills is
20: anticipating will happen? I think they are just waiting to see exactly how Republicans respond, because obviously this has been an ongoing issue. Um, I think we are going to see in the next couple of days whether the White House sort of has a theory of the case for exactly how to handle this. Uh, I think what is going to be clearly not helpful is if there is sort of a drip drip of more information uh, coming out. And all of this is coming as the president uh, is waiting to make an official announcement on a second term. The politics, again, and the optics of this is huge. Uh, it is going to be be politically complicated as he uh, considers a second term. And all signs are uh, is that he is uh, preparing to launch a second term, Caitlin.
3: Yeah. And it's fair to ask questions about this while still drawing a distinction between what is happening with the former president and how different that is. MJ Lee, thank you so much. We'll see what they say today.
2: All right. Let's talk about George Santos. He's a newly sworn in Republican freshman from New York. You've heard about him, right? He admitted to telling lies about his life and resume during his campaign. Well, he's refusing to step down.
5: I
6: will not.
7: Guys,
8: we're going to need a little bit of space here. New York Republicans are calling you a disgrace. We
7: will not resign once. Why won't you run the elevator? Excuse us. Wow.
2: Just some of his lies right behind me on the board right there. Santos lied about where he worked, where he went to school, his faith, his family's connection to the Holocaust, and even how his mother died. And check out this resume. It was obtained by the New York Times. Those jobs at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup never happened. It's according to companies, to the companies. Didn't happen. And he didn't even earn degrees from Baruch College and NYU. Now many of the calls to resign are coming from inside his own party. The calls are coming from inside the house, from Long Island to D.C.
9: George Santos's campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, fabrication. He's disgraced the House of Representatives, and we do not consider him one of our Congress Today, on behalf of the Nassau County Republican Committee, I am calling for his immediate resignation.
11: I wanted to make it very clear that uh, that is not our brand. That's not what we stand for. And the fact that uh, he claimed that he was Jewish, uh, that he had family who uh, escaped the Holocaust, that's just not something that I can tolerate.
10: If you want to talk about election fraud, then we could look no further than New York's third congressional district right now. And if we're going to hold the left to a standard, then we ought to hold ourselves, the right Republicans, we ought to hold ourselves to the same standard. I
21: would hope that George Santos starts to realize that it's just not possible for him to be an effective representation, representative of, of his district with this hanging over his head uh, and, and without the trust of the constituents, without the trust of his colleagues in Congress.
2: Three other first-term Republican congressmen also joined in the push to oust Santos. They say that he cannot be effective, that what he's done is dishonorable and unworthy of the office, and that he must resign. But the House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, says not so fast.
11: I try to stick by the Constitution. The voters elected him to serve. If there is a concern he has to go through the ethics, we'll let him move through that so he will continue to serve. You know, in America today, you're innocent until proven guilty.
2: Well, Santos faces a number of complaints, including with the Federal Election Commission and House Ethics Committee, filed by fellow New York Democratic Congressman Richie Torres and Daniel Goldman. They're going to join us later this hour to unveil a new bill that could make it harder for another Santos to slip through the cracks. Caitlin?
3: Yeah, we'll see if that passes. This morning, authorities in California are also including more than 100 National Guard members as they are searching for five-year-old Kyle Doan. He was clinging to his mother before he was swept away as those floodwaters overwhelmed their SUV on the way to school. His mother is speaking out, and it's heart-wrenching.
17: I want to switch places with Kyle. I don't want to be here. I want Kyle to be here. I wish Kyle was the one that was rescued.
3: Camilla Bernal is live for CNN this morning in California. We're also hearing from Kyle's father. I know the family is obviously struggling with this as they are having these search efforts underway. What are you hearing?
22: Hey Caitlin, the father telling me that he's in shock, that this is so difficult to process, but that they will search until they find Kyle. That search is incredibly difficult because they're looking in this creek. You can see and you can hear that the water is still flowing very rapidly. Just a few feet up the creek is that car. You can't see it because it is just so dark. Despite all of these conditions, the family is saying they are not giving up.
14: I just want him back.
22: When the water rose, five-year-old Kyle Doan sounded calm, his father now recounting the boy's last words to his mother. He was telling her, Mommy, don't panic. It's okay. Everything will be okay. But the father says the water ripped Kyle away from his mother's arms on Monday morning as she was
14: getting him out and trying to hold him. The current. Was there it, it, it took him.
22: Her screams heard by nearby residents who did everything they could to help.
14: I, mean, I was able to get a rope to her and get her over to the side but they couldn't get to my son. Um, the husband that was there saw him, he was floating back. His head was above water, he was looking out. And that was the last time they saw him.
22: Now, shock, denial, and heartbreak.
14: My wife, really, it's hard, because she survived the, the, the event and he's not here. And she feels really guilty. That she wasn't the one to go down, not him. She did not want to eat. She refused. She said, "If I'm my son's out there,
22: I don't want to eat either." A grainy home video from a Christmas past, now a treasured memory. Big one.
3: Big one.
14: He was a good kid. He had lots of friends. Um, he, he liked to help the teacher. I mean, he was a kindergartner. Um, he was doing new experiences, um, and he's probably like a lot of kids you know in your in your neighborhood
22: but the family is determined to find Kyle, his older brother Tyler, searching with the help of friends, and for the first time Wednesday seeing his mother's car
13: i'm I'm just speechless from. Seeing that, um, kind of just a rush of emotions, um, just a lot going on right now.
22: As he looks for his little brother, he's reminded of the joy he brought to the family.
13: <laughs> he wakes up the whole family every single morning. Um, most of us like to sleep in, um, try to at least, and he's the one who gets us out of our bed every single day.
22: And an entire community. Searching, hoping, praying. You want to find him. You want him found, but you don't want to be the one to find him.
23: And yeah, you just, it's scary.
22: It's scary, but we just want him found. It's that help and support that the Doan family says is giving them strength.
14: It's been tough. Um given very good. A lot of giving. Um, A lot of support, a lot of friends.
22: Trying to balance hope of Kyle's smiling face against the grim reality.
14: It's going to be hard. Um, At some point, it's going to be really hard.
22: And the father telling me that he understands this may be a recovery operation. Nonetheless, that search, Caitlin, resumes when the sun comes up.
3: Yeah, we're keeping them in mind. Camilla Bernal, thank you.
2: And now to the war in Ukraine, a military reshuffle once again in Russia. President Vladimir Putin has replaced his military commander in Ukraine for the fourth time in less than a year. His chief of staff, General Valery Gerasimov, and uh, is now head of this invasion he replaces Sergei Suravakin, who has been in charge since october so let's go to cnn's ben wiedeman live for us uh in ukraine this morning ben good morning to you thank you so much what does this tell us about the progression of this war russia's war on ukraine
8: well it tells us don that there may be an attempt to reshuffle the decks on the titanic of the russian military gerasimov general gerasimov was actually in charge of the military operation in Ukraine at the beginning of the war. And that was plagued by all sorts of problems of supplies, logistics, ammunition, everything. And so it's so somewhat puzzling uh, that he would be brought back to that position of responsibility at a time when the Ukrainians, over the last few months, have made dramatic gains. Of course, there's this battle ongoing in Solidar. Uh, But even if the Russians are victorious there, it's a modest victory in the grand scheme of things. That's a very small town. But clearly they are desperate, the Russian leadership, to find somebody who can put the war back on course, because at the moment it's well off it, John. All right.
2: Ben Wiedemann, thank you very much.
3: One single corrupt file. That is the FAA's system failure that led to a ground stoppage, a remarkable one, at U.S. airports yesterday. It has been traced to a corrupt file. The FAA says the disruption resulted from a reboot of a pilot safety alert program. It took longer than expected, led to more than 10,000 delays and 1,300 cancellations. CNN's aviation correspondent, Pete Muntean, is live at Reagan National Airport, where he was yesterday, Pete, it's kind of remarkable that it was, they were essentially trying to reboot a system and it took longer than they thought and that's what happened to the pure chaos that we saw yesterday morning?
5: So true, Caitlin. You know, we're getting a much clearer picture now into exactly what went wrong behind the scenes. The FAA now says it was a damaged database file that led to the meltdown of its Notices to Air Mission System, its NOTAMS system, which gives critical safety alerts to pilots. They must read them before they take off. That damaged file not only caused the main system to melt down, but also the backup system to melt down, according to sources. Now, Multiple government sources tell us that this was initially a problem known to the FAA, on Tuesday afternoon, but the FAA tried to reset that system on Wednesday morning when it thought it would have the least impact on air travel that ultimately failed, causing that nationwide ground stop. Now more on this file. Multiple sources tell us that that file was not put in by any one particular person. At least they don't know that just yet. They also do not know if it was any one particular action that caused that file to be corrupted. There's some big questions here for Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. The FAA falls under his portfolio at the Department of Transportation. He's been very critical of airlines when they have had their own meltdowns. And I want you to listen to him now. He says the FAA and the Department of Transportation really owns this problem and is investigating what exactly started all of this to fail.
14: These kinds of disruptions should not happen, and my primary interest, now that we've gotten through the immediate disruptions of the morning, is understanding exactly how this was possible and exactly what steps are needed to make sure that it doesn't happen again.
5: The very good news here, Caitlin, is we were over the hump of yesterday. The numbers today pale in comparison. 540 delays so far. Compare that to the 10,000 we saw yesterday. Only 66 flights have been canceled in the U.S., according to FlightAware.
3: Yeah, some grateful flyers today. Big questions for the FAA, though. Pete Muntean, thanks so much for that update. A glitch. I think if your flight got canceled, you're like, really?
2: I would be so <laughs> mad. I and mean, I know people are ticked, but a glitch.
3: I know, wow. I know. But those those programs are so important. As we were talking, you know, we heard from all those people yesterday yeah. talking about how that is critical to. It is, but they need to ago. update
2: the they need to update the systems. Yeah.
3: yeah. All right. Also today, House Democrats have moved to introduce a George Santos bill not the one that he wants named after him. It would make candidates (laughs) lying on their resume make it a crime. Two New York lawmakers who are behind this are going to join us next.
2: Plus disturbing new details about the husband of a missing mother in Massachusetts why Brian Walsh was described as a sociopath in a 2019 family legal dispute. More CNN this morning to come after the break. So the calls are mounting for the embattled New York Congressman George Santos to resign after he admitted to lying on his resume and about key elements of his personal life. Two New York Democratic congressmen are proposing a new bill, which would have named the Santos, would be named the Santos or Stop Another Non-Truthful Officer Act. This bill would require any candidate for Congress to file information about their educational background, their military service and their employment history, And a candidate who knowingly and willingly provides false information would be punished with a $100,000 fine, one year in prison, perhaps both. So joining us now are two sponsors of the bill, and that is Democrats. They are Democrats from New York, Congressman Daniel Goldman and Congressman Richie Torres. Congressman, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us uh, today. So I'm going to start with you, um, Mr. Goldman. Explain the Santos Act and why you think it is needed.
24: Well, on Tuesday, Congressman Torres and I filed a complaint with the House Ethics Committee uh, for violations of the Office of the Ethics in Government Act. But that only is limited to financial disclosures and campaign finances and uh, lies and, and omissions on those uh, documents and representations. But there is nothing in election law that prohibits anyone from lying across the board like George Santos did about his education, his employment history, uh, some matters that are really critical to what voters care about when they vote. And so this act is we are introducing to make lies about those essential biographical facts, uh, crimes uh, under election law.
2: So the question is, though, to what end, Representative Torres, because in a Republican-majority House, what are the odds that this bill will actually pass? It's believed that it's dead on arrival.
11: Well, I'm cautiously optimistic that it could actually secure bipartisan support, because what is the possible argument against requiring candidates to tell the truth to voters? You know, when CNN confronted Kevin McCarthy, Uh, He said that the voters chose George Santos, but left unmentioned is the fact that George Santos defrauded the voters. He, He won his election under fundamentally fraudulent pretenses. And I find it scandalous that a candidate could flagrantly lie to the voters with impunity. And so that's why we're introducing the Santos Act, which would require candidates to disclose in writing, under oath, under the penalty of perjury, their employment, educational, and military history, so that candidates who do lie to voters can finally be held accountable. Voters should have the ability to compare what a candidate has said under oath versus what a candidate claims on the campaign trail. Do
2: You think you have enough Republicans that'll sign on to help this pass?
11: I'm cautiously optimistic and notice that Republicans, particularly in Long Island, are coming out in opposition to George Santos. Now I will admit, Republican leadership here in the House has been conspicuously silent about the fraudulence of George Santos. I find it notable that Elise Stefanik, who is the chair of the GOP conference, not only enthusiastically endorsed, but fundraised for George Santos in the tune of $100,000. But ever since the scandal broke out, she's been nowhere to be found with respect to George Santos.
2: Uh, Representative Goldman, I have to ask you about these documents that have been found because you were so outspoken about um, the documents of Donald Trump. You tweeted, you said, uh, Donald Trump uh, treats laws as if they are suggestions, not requirements. DOJ officials must enforce our laws without fear or favor as they took an oath to do. Our Democratic Foundation depends on it. I think that tweet was in reference to the the classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. And now that there are documents found uh, with the former president in an office and others that have been Uh, found recently. Um, The cases are believed to be very different, but what is your response to to that?
24: I, I think the American people are smart enough to understand the critical differences here. You have in one situation, President Biden's lawyers who found classified information as they were cleaning out His office, and they immediately self reported and notified the Department of Justice, turned over the documents to make sure that they were returned and secured, and any damage control was done. On the other hand, you have a former president who intentionally, knowingly tried to conceal and withhold turning over classified information, so much so that he defied a subpoena for those documents, which required the Department of Justice to execute a search warrant. These things are not like each other, and the American people are smart enough to understand when someone finds something and immediately turns it over, and when someone, regardless of the circumstances of how these documents ended up at Mar-a-Lago, certainly came to understand that he was in possession of them and did everything that he could to prevent the Department of Justice from receiving those documents. This is quite simple, and it's a blatant false equivalency that the Republican Party is trying to put over on the American people. But, Congressman,
2: you're not concerned that there were classified documents that the current president had in his possession, or at
24: least at his office? Of course I'm concerned. I think the president is concerned. That is obviously, um, you know, unintentional and, and outside of the requirements of our intelligence laws classified information must remain in secured compartments and this was not and i'm sure that the department of justice working in cooperation with the president's lawyers are trying to figure out how that happened and whether any sources and methods have been compromised in any way as you would do in a situation like this but cooperation is coming from the Biden administration and the president's lawyers, and there was zero cooperation from Donald Trump who tried to uh, do everything possible not to cooperate. Okay,
2: just one quick question before I let you go. So then would you be okay with a special counsel
24: being assigned
2: to the Biden documents?
24: I defer to uh, Attorney General Garland, I don't know the facts here. A special counsel would only be warranted if there were actually a criminal investigation as opposed to a counterintelligence investigation to determine uh, exactly what happened and what consequences there are to national security of this country, if that morphs into a criminal investigation related to the president. And by the way, it's unclear and, and unlikely that President Biden even had any idea about this, since I'm sure he didn't pack his own boxes. But if the attorney general believes that there's, that's warranted, then yes, a special counsel should be appointed. Yeah, we don't know about that. But it is interesting.
2: Uh, Why attorneys would be finding these documents or attorneys, why are attorneys packing and unpacking boxes um, for the president or the former vice president? Thank you, Congressman. We appreciate both of you joining us this morning.
8: Thank Thank you. you.
3: For more on this, let's bring in CNN's political analyst and senior political correspondent for The New York Times, Maggie Haberman, and CNN political commentator, Anna Navarro. Thank you both for being here. I want to talk about that document stuff because that's really interesting, but Uh, On George Santos, you know, Richie Torres is saying maybe they could get Republican support here. But the GOP leadership who says they don't believe Santos needs to resign, there's no way they're going to pass this, right, or support this.
25: Whatever happy pill Richie Torres is taking, I'd like some, too, because, I mean, his cautious optimism, I think, is unwarranted. As we know, uh, there are now members of the Rules Committee who are never going to go along with this. And Rules Committee touches every piece of legislation with Kevin McCarthy not backing this. It's not going to happen, but I would say to Republicans, and not just the Republicans in the House, I would say to Republicans, you know, every Republican out there, Republican leadership like the Republican Jewish Congress, uh, this guy lied about his Jewish heritage or lack thereof. Uh, You know, these people like we saw yesterday, the Nassau County Republican Party, they're the ones that need to speak up. The Republican Party of New York State, they need to speak up. Republican organizations, they need to speak up because only if there is Republican, if, if there's Republican support around the country. And from donors and from voters and organizations, will it be a difference? And it is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to Republicans. It's an embarrassment to the institution of Congress. It's an embarrassment to America. It's an embarrassment to Brazil, too.
2: They are starting to speak up. <laughs> I Caitlin interviewed someone from the New York State Republican Party, a state senator, who yeah. is speaking up this morning.
25: But listen, they need to pass resolutions. We've seen resolutions passed against Liz Cheney for telling the truth. By her state Republican Party, remember? Yeah. Well, it'd be nice if Republican parties uh, and Republican organizations passed resolutions against somebody for telling lies, the same way they passed resolutions against uh, Liz Cheney for telling the truth. Are you surprised, Maggie, by how Republicans, uh, the Republicans in New York are handling
3: it very differently than Republicans in Washington?
10: Republicans in New York uh, and Republicans in Washington actually have the same problem, which is that everybody wants to know what they knew and when. This is not somebody who is running for the first time in 2022. He ran in 2020. So it is going to raise questions about what did the Nassau GOP know? What did the New York State GOP know? What were national Republicans in Congress and the Congressional Committee aware of? And so I, I am not surprised that you're seeing the Nassau GOP and some members of the NY GOP starting to t- speak out because people are starting to wonder What were they aware of when it took place? And I think they're concerned about the reputation. Nassau GOP in particular is a very strong county committee. And so that's what they're looking at. Kevin McCarthy's interest is to stay in power, as we have seen, you know, over the course of all this drama in the last week. So he is not going to say anything or doesn't see it as in his interest. But to to Anna's point... um, it should matter whether you are being honest with voters, and it's not like this issue is going to go away. So He's we are going it's
2: to up to the voters.
10: Well, and not. and that's lovely. And if that's it, in in that case, uh, he is going to have a problem either if there's a special election and Santos decides for some reason not to stick it out, or when there, this seat comes up again in two years. I don't think Democrats are going to approach this race the same way. So he is saying it's up to voters. I don't know that that's going to be a sustainable. And the Kevin
25: McCarthy aspect is 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 crucial, right? Santos was a staunch backer of Kevin McCarthy and voted for him each of the 15 times that he was up for a vote. And, and Kevin McCarthy needed every single vote. So he's now in a position where he owes this pathological liar to, that helped him become Speaker.
2: Yeah. So uh, look, can we turn now to the documents? And the reason I was questioning um, Dan Goldman so much because he was part of, right, right um, impeachment, Donald Trump's impeachment, right, and also is an attorney, prosecutor, what have you. So what did you make of his answer, the difference between Biden. There is a difference, but still these are documents that are classified in the possession or in a place where they shouldn't be.
25: Look, I don't think it's good for President Biden, and I think it's very good for Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump is going to be able to argue all of these technicalities like you were just asking Congressman Goldman, they're they're in the weeds, right? right. It's right. legalese, it's it's semantics, it's this or that investigation special. But Here's what I think is a a point that Donald Trump is going to make and his people are going to make. If Joe Biden, who's been in uh, elected office, who's been in the Senate and vice president practically his entire adult life, uh, somehow ended up with classified documents in his possession, in his private offices, then what do you expect of Donald Trump, who, you know, was a businessman? Uh, and, And if Donald, if Joe Biden didn't pack his own boxes, you think Donald Trump packed his own boxes. So I think I think there are going to be, are they false equivalences? Yes, but they're going to be made and I think they're going to have some effect.
3: Yeah, and the White House is not saying a lot on this. They basically didn't answer any question in detail yesterday. When you talk to White House officials privately, they say there is a reason behind that. They believe that they will be born out in this and that they will not, it will come out that it is very different, as you were noting. But Trump's attorneys and his legal team and his orbit seems to think what you're saying there, that this is actually going to help them, whether it's muddying the waters or showing that it's easier than you think to take classified documents with you,
10: it's very possible. Caitlin, look, I mean, I think that number one, we know this is Donald Trump's playbook, which is to muddy the waters, right. and so it's not really surprising that that's what's taking place. Um, I, I, Donald Trump and his folks also tend to think in terms of short-term increments. Uh, I, I do think that they are correct that this raises a political issue for the DOJ. I don't know that it raises any other issue. I've heard the same thing you have that that uh, Biden officials believe that this is going to ultimately. in their favor. But to your point, there's so much we don't know. And they have made the decision that not saying more about it up front is is the right way to handle it. We'll see. But there are, as Don noted, a ton of questions that we just don't know the answer to. It it is a false equivalence based on what we know so far to say this is the same as Trump. But I'm not sure that most uh, of the public is paying attention to such fine details. Mm -hmm.
2: Is it odd? We were speaking to um, an expert here who said lawyers Discovered it. Why are lawyers yeah. unpacking boxes? Is that razor red flag or isn't that interesting to anyone?
10: Yeah, I don't I don't it goes so do to your the,
2: lawyers like
10: it go I don't not my, my classified moved? documents are not being yeah. <laughs> through by my lawyers. Um, I, I don't know what that was a joke for those who are wondering. Um, I, I don't I don't know what exactly the circumstance was here. I guess it is certainly possible that somebody was packing up something or going through something and they stumbled on this. I I have more questions, I have fewer questions about a lawyer doing this than I do questions about what's the second location where they found documents? When did that happen? How many? How many? The volume so far, as we understood it from the first set, was roughly a dozen or so. That's in vast contrast to the more than 300 that Donald Mm -hmm. Trump had. But the more that we hear of, you know, oh, here's an additional one, Will there be more? What were the circumstances? We just don't know.
3: Yeah, I will say I've heard that the second batch that was reported yesterday of classified documents was found because they found that first batch. Then they conducted a a search, basically due diligence to see if there are others. Trump also had his... Hired attorneys to conduct a search, but that was because the DOJ was like knocking down his right. door and was like, "We don't think you turned over all of the documents that you still have in your business. And they so resisted. From and, and, and he
10: resisted doing a search. I mean, initially they resisted doing an additional search. There was a there was a, a discussion about doing that among some of his lawyers, and then other lawyers prevailed and said, "No, no, no, don't do that." And so yes, yeah, it would different. make
25: sense to have lawyers discover it. You know, that second batch, because if you know you found mm-hmm. the first batch, then you right. send a bunch of lawyers into every nook and crevice uh, that, that you. No, I'm talking in, about, about the first
2: search. batch. They said the first batch was found by lawyers. Or that were packing and unpacking. and The question is, I think it's a very good one, lawyers packing and unpacking? Just... Well, I
25: don't think they're unpacking and packing the same things like we have, right? Okay. I mean, these are not yeah. old Valentine's cards.
2: I know, but usually it's movers and staff who pack up things, so I don't know, maybe.
3: Uh, a lot of questions,
10: me, yeah. a lot of questions. Yeah, thank, thank you both. both. Appreciate it.
3: All right, we have disturbing new discoveries this morning about the husband of that missing Massachusetts mom, his father's friend called him a sociopath in old court documents. We've unearthed them. We'll tell you about them next.
2: Welcome back to CNN This Morning, everyone. Coming up, five leaders of the Proud Boys going on trial for a seditious conspiracy for their involvement in the Capitol attack. We will preview the Justice Department's case against them next. Plus, the suspect in the University of Idaho killing set to appear in court today. What to expect, that's ahead. Four million people remain under flood threats in Northern California. Officials say the Monterey Peninsula could temporarily become an island in just hours. We are there live.
3: Also, the search this morning is intensifying for the missing Massachusetts mom of three. Anna Walsh and investigators are turning their focus to her husband's past. Court documents show that Brian Walsh was described as a sociopath and untrustworthy during a 2019 legal dispute over his dad's estate. CNN's Jason Carroll is live for CNN this morning in Massachusetts. Jason, what are they learning about his background as they're still searching for her?
13: Well, as you say, these court documents really turned up a lot of disturbing uh, allegations uh, stemming back to 2018, 2019. Uh, All of this is related to Brian Walsh's father. Uh, He was basically trying to contest his father's estate. His father, uh, Caitlin, had cut him completely out of his will, and, and that's because he was so deeply hurt, uh, his father's friends tell me, uh, because uh, there were allegations that Brian Walsh had basically stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from his father during a, a real estate deal that that went sour. Uh, his father died in 2018, again, had cut him out of his will, but that didn't stop Brian Walsh from contesting it and, and apparently going onto the property and taking items out of the house. And so it was contested. Uh, he, a judge ended up just deciding against him. But what was interesting was to read all of the things that Brian Walsh's father's, his friends said about Brian Walsh. For example, one of his father's friends said of Brian, Brian is not only a sociopath, but also a very angry and physically violent person. I want nothing to do with him. That again, coming from one of uh, Brian Walsh's father's friends and again chilling words considering everything that's going on now his wife missing and uh, and in terms of this investigation a lot of folks have been focused on that Caitlin as you can imagine uh, still waiting for some of those test results to come back uh from the hacksaw from the cloth materials bloody cloth materials found at that trash site so a lot of different moving parts here but when you consider going back to 2018 2019 all of these allegations all of these red flags really chilling
3: it's Caitlin. incredibly chilling jason carroll thank you for that update we'll check back in with you
2: and coming up a preview of the justice department's case against five leaders of the proud boys for their role in the capital attack details next So later today in federal court, the Justice Department is expected once again to pursue the rarely used charge of seditious conspiracy against key figures involved with the January 6th riot. Prosecution of five leaders of a group known as the Proud Boys, comes less than two months after the Justice Department secured convictions on that same charge against two members of another group, the Oath Keepers, including its leader. Three others were convicted on other felony charges. CNN Sarah Seidner has more on just how, or just who, I should say, the Proud Boys are, including some of her own encounters with those now facing prosecution.
26: Dominic Pozzola stands out in the crowd of thousands on January 6, 2021, because he was the first to break into the United States Capitol, smashing a window and letting a mob flow in, prosecutors allege. Pozzola and four other Proud Boys are on trial accused of seditious conspiracy and up to 10 charges linked to them allegedly trying to stop the peaceful transfer of presidential power. Proud Boy Joseph Biggs, shown here outside the Capitol, prosecutors say helped lead the group to create chaos that day, having tweeted when the presidential election was called for Joe Biden over Donald Trump, this is war and after he and other members got into the capitol prosecutors say he filmed himself saying so we just stormed the FN Capitol, took the FN place back that was so much fun when we tried to speak to biggs at his home in florida after he was initially charged with conspiracy in the case he was less bold are you an insurrectionist Ethan Nordin was president of his local Proud Boys chapter in Washington State, shown here facing off with a police officer outside the Capitol. He now claims the Proud Boys were disorganized and that he only came to D.C. simply to stage a concert at an Airbnb that day. Also charged, Zachary Real, another president of a local Proud Boys chapter in Philadelphia. And the most well-known of the Proud Boys, former national chairman Enrique Tarrio. The prosecutors say he helped plan the whole thing from late December on, even creating a new Proud Boy group just for January 6th called the Ministry of Self-Defense. But since then, did you help plan the Capitol attack on January 6th? Were you involved with the Proud Boys? in planning what happened?
21: Absolutely not.
26: Tario is the only Proud Boy charged in the case who was not physically in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. But during and after the breach, prosecutors say Tario made clear what the aim was in his social media messages, which I read to him for his response in February. Proud of my boys and my country. Don't f-ing leave. Yes. The day after the siege, you posted, I'm with you, we're all with you, you make this country great, never stop fighting. That sure sounds like you were condoning everything that happened that day.
14: I'm not gonna tell you that I
12: condone the violence that happened.
26: But this was so after, second, this was long after the breach. I
12: don't think that people should stop fighting. I was in support of the, the reason why people breached the Capitol, yes.
26: Sarah Seidner, CNN.
2: I think so, Sarah.
3: She's always been on top of that yeah. story. All right, California this morning is bracing for another round of storms. The Monterey Peninsula might soon not be a peninsula. It might become an island, according to local officials. We're going to take you there live with these remarkable scenes next.
2: And more questions as a second set of secret documents from President Biden's time as vice president are found by his legal team. We'll discuss with former attorney general under George W. Bush, Alberto Gonzalez. Straight ahead. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
3: All right, the historic storms that keep hitting California have claimed at least 18 lives. The threat's not over yet, though. At least 4 million people remain under flood flood threats as heavy rain has been triggering mudslides. Officials are warning that parts of Monterey County could become an island as the heavy rain continues to fall.
17: If anybody was here in 1995, you know that during a uh, large flooding event, the Marina or the Monterey Peninsula became an island, and and it People were either stuck on one side or the other. Um, And we anticipate that we're going to go into a similar situation, but not as bad. But we're going to some of the roadways are going to be closed and you could be stuck on one
3: side or the other. Veronica Miracle is live in Monterey, in Monterey, California, for CNN this morning. We're hearing those stark warnings from officials there. What are you
4: seeing actually on the ground? Uh, Caitlin, sorry, just want to give you a heads up. Our light just turned off here. And as you can see, it is very dark at this moment, but we could see the Salinas River behind us. And it is at this moment uh, relatively low. However, officials are saying around noon today that it could uh, flood this area. We're standing right next to the 156 highway. It is a major thoroughfare that allows people to come into the county and into Monterey. And they're saying that this potentially could flood and people could be stuck on either side. Officials are warning people this could last through tomorrow. Caitlin?
3: Yeah, that's a big concern, of course. Uh, the cleanup there, what that looks like, how these officials are handling this. Veronica Miracle, will stick with you. We'll come back with you as the sun is coming up and we can see just uh, what's behind you. Now we're at the top of the 8 a.m. hour, so we're going to reset the news.
2: Good morning. The White House refusing to answer key questions about the classified documents found at the president's private office. And now another batch has been discovered. The former Attorney General, Alberto Gonzalez, will join us live.
3: The Republican freshman and notorious liar, George Santos, is refusing to step down despite growing calls from inside his own party. Now we are seeing the resume that he used for his web of lies, and it only continues from there.
2: New evidence, chilling discoveries, but no sign of the mother who has been missing for 12 days. And as her husband sits in a jail cell, a friend of the woman is speaking out about what happened before her disappearance. She will join us live.
3: In Ukraine, President Putin is once again reshuffling his military leaders, putting a new commander in charge as Russia is struggling nearly a year into its invasion of Ukraine.
2: And as students return to class, the suspect accused of murdering four college students is set to appear in court as investigators reveal new discoveries. CNN This Morning starts right now. So aides to President Biden finding a second batch of classified documents at a new location separate from the Washington office he used where the White House acknowledges that a small number of classified documents were discovered. The new House Speaker pointing to Trump, Mar-a-Lago, that investigation suggesting a double standard.
11: Well, what's so surprising to me is that this came out before the election. Why does his Department of Justice treat people differently? Every time we find something that comes out before the election, why did they treat President Trump totally different as DOJ? Why did they raid?
2: And as for the White House, well, key questions about the classified documents remain unanswered?
1: So I'm just going to leave it there, we want to be uh, prudent here. This is under review by the Department of Justice. I'm not going to go beyond what the president shared yesterday. I'm not going to go beyond uh, what the, my colleagues at the White House Council shared with all of you as well.
19: The president sorry. saying that he was surprised to learn about these documents. Is he saying that he did not bring those documents to that office? I'm
1: just not going to go beyond what the president said. Do we know who did bring those documents I'm not, to the I'm office? I'm not going to go beyond what the president but you're said. Saying-
2: So one White, one House Democrat, I should say, says politics shouldn't be the issue with something this serious.
15: Classified documents belong in classified settings. And if we're having consistent problems across parties with exiting government officials, not putting those classified documents where they belong, then I think that's something that we should take up. Oversight isn't about partisanship.
2: CNN's Paula Reed live for us in Washington this morning. Good morning to you, Paula. What exactly do we know about the documents in this second batch?
4: So we don't know much, Don, beyond the headline, which is that Biden's attorneys have uncovered a second batch of government documents that include classified information. The first batch, of course, was found back in early November in an office that his attorneys were clearing out. We learned that that included 10 classified documents, including information about Iran, the United Kingdom and Ukraine, and even included top secret information. And we're told that it was that discovery that spurred these searches in additional locations looking for other documents. But we don't know where the second batch was found, what it includes. And one of the biggest questions, is this it? The White House has been very careful not to definitively say that that first batch or even the second batch is is all that they know is out there. But that's a really big question to have hanging over the White House right now.
2: So how's the GOP responding to this on Capitol Hill? I'm sure they're pouncing.
4: Of course, they're pouncing and they are criticizing the president. House Oversight wants briefings from National Archives. A short time ago there, you played the clip of Speaker McCarthy raising questions about a double standard. He asked why this wasn't disclosed. Look, the speaker knows full well. It's the Justice Department's standard operating procedure. They don't comment on in ongoing investigations and they are especially careful around elections. He also described what happened at Mar-a-Lago as a, quote, raid. That is something that even a Trump-appointed federal judge has said. Look, that's not accurate. This was a duly executed search warrant at Mar-a-Lago, and the former president talked about it, which is part of why that is public. But the big question now is for Attorney General Merrick Garland and whether he wants to appoint a special counsel. And now that we have documents found in a second location, Don, that really strongly suggests that he may be left with no choice. But politically, look, if voters feel like they're not getting all the information and they keep uncovering new classified documents in, in other settings— that can become a big political liability. That's something we, of course, saw in the Clinton email investigation.
2: All right, Paula Reed, thank you so much. Appreciate that.
4: So for
3: perspective on this, let's bring in who better than the former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, who served as the former counsel to President George W. Bush and is now at the dean at the Belmont University College of Law. Attorney General, thank you for being here with us this morning. You were once in Attorney General Merrick Garland's shoes. Would you appoint a special counsel here?
27: You know, I I think the bar for appointing a special counsel has gotten much higher in terms of what would be necessary. In the Bush administration, yes, I think a, a special counsel would have been appointed. Um, we, uh, we, we appointed a special counsel. John Ashcroft appointed a special counsel in connection with the Valerie Plame investigation. And Ashcroft stepped away because of the fact that he had that he had uh, used Carl Rove as an advisor when he was running for governor many many years before then, and so, but I, but I think in today's world I think that th- that standard has changed. But uh, Merrick Garland will have to make his own independent decision based upon what he thinks is is uh, in the interest of justice, uh, what his prosecutors or investigators are telling him. Uh, but if you're asking me, based on what I know, again this is only based upon public reporting. I think if I if I uh, making the decision during the Bush administration, yes, I would have appointed a special counsel. Also, in particular, because the uh, if we're finding documents at different jurisdictions, uh, we probably need to have someone who has the authority over all the jurisdictions to conduct an, uh, an investigation.
2: So who would that be? Did you, I'm sorry, did you want to follow? That's
27: a good so question. Who
2: would that be, then, who has jurisdiction?
27: No, he, he would... Uh, he would find someone like a former a prosecutor uh, to appoint as a as special, okay. uh, as a special counsel. Look, we're talking about the if, if you'll Just nominated. let me jump in,
2: please. Let me ask you. So you're okay. saying it seems like in one breath you're saying you don't think because you are. You said you don't think a special counsel the bar is very high. You would have done it during the Bush administration, but not now. But then you also just said different jurisdictions, and that person would be a special counsel. So what is it? Do you want a
27: special? Do you think a special counsel should be or no? Based on what I know, based upon my experience in the Bush administration, yes. Uh, Particularly if it it appears that we're talking about evidence that may be in different jurisdictions, I would have a special counsel. I would appoint a special counsel that would have jurisdiction over... The various U.S. attorney districts, yes, I would appoint a special counsel based on what I know. Again, based upon public reporting, it's not my place to second guess or try to put any kind of pressure on Merrick Garland. But just based upon what I know in the interest of justice, yes, I think a special counsel is likely to be appointed. And I, and I might suggest that a special counsel be appointed. Okay.
3: One thing we were talking about th- that we had heard from Trump's attorneys was that this shows how easy it is to take classified information with you when you leave office. You know, President Biden said the other day he takes classified information really seriously. Is is it easier than people think to take it with them?
27: Well, you have to remember that uh, oftentimes we're talking about a lot of uh, information and documents that happen at, at the end of an administration. Generally, you have aides that that have responsibility to gather up that information and move it to, say, to a, a presidential library or a, a, a place where presidential you know uh, private personal documents are going to be stored for the outgoing administration. And so it very well could be that President Biden has no idea, quite frankly, uh, what else might be out there because he wasn't he didn't actually move the documents. Um, so is it is it easy? I don't wouldn't say it's easy, but it's certainly possible that there that that when you leave office that you take, some documents with you that are c- classified. Uh, you have to remember. I think it's important that the, uh, that once the administration is over, any presidential record is no longer yours. It it belongs to the to the archivist, and at that point, you have a responsibility to try to get it back to the, get it to the archivist. But of course, uh, if you're talking about hundreds of pages of documents, you typically have some people helping you do that, and you know you you may not know that whether or not you have all the documents that have been turned over. You do your best to try to make sure that does happen. Uh, You're hopeful that your staff does its job in terms of collecting the information and turning it over. But in terms of actual firsthand knowledge, it is very difficult, I think, for a vice president or a president or even a, a cabinet secretary uh, to, to know for sure. And that's why the, the White House has been so reluctant to, to say this is all that there is because they're, I'm sure, doing a search right now to confirm that there are no additional documents.
2: You just said that you should do what, everything that you could to get them to the, the proper place. So there is, look, there are distinctions between what happened with the Trump documents and with the Biden documents. But for, I mean, quite honestly, for people at home, it's hard for them to see those distinctions. To them, it just all looks like the same thing. You know, you've got these documents, and they shouldn't be where they, where they are, and they've got to get back. The distinction is Biden is saying we want to comply. Trump is saying I don't want to comply, right? And that's how we got to that <laughs> point. So can you d- discuss that? Do you, do you understand what I'm
27: saying? Well, I think it's important for people to understand. In any criminal prosecution, the facts matter. So the differences in facts are going to make a big difference. And also, if to the extent you have different prosecutors, so you have a special prosecutor looking at the Mar-a-Lago documents, you're you're likely to have a special prosecutor here. So they're going to be different. They're going to be different. They're going to view evidence differently. Their judgments going to be different. The discretion that any prosecutor has is going to be different. And so no Republican would want to be prosecuted for committing a crime for, for certain acts Uh, based upon the the actions of a prosecutor with respect to a different set of facts. So, again, facts are critically important. And so the the, and and the slight deviation in facts may make a difference in the mind of a prosecutor in exercising his or her judgment or discretion as to whether or not to move forward or not. So the fact that President Biden, that President, former President Trump may be charged uh, shouldn't make a difference with respect to whether or not President Biden should be charged and vice versa, because facts matter. And and the American people, I think, need to understand that. And I know that's difficult to to perhaps accept or even comprehend in this politically charged environment, but that's the way it works in our justice system, and that's the way we should want it to work.
2: Does it matter, just let me follow real quickly on this guy, does it matter that Biden, Biden was vice president six years ago? He had the documents for possibly six years. Trump was president, you know, two years ago or so and they had been working for what was it a, like a year or so to get these documents over back a year. so like over a year he didn't have the documents as, as long but biden had them for 6 years does that make a difference
27: well uh, you know i'm sure at some point he was told okay all the documents have been turned over and so there was no additional work uh, to confirm that so i'm sure he he relied upon trusted aides uh, who who were charged with making sure the docu- all the all the presidential records were turned over as they should have been turned over. So, you know, it's not surprising that they, at some point, it stopped. That effort to confirm that stopped. And so it it just took a long period of time to discover that, in fact, there were additional documents that should have been turned over.
3: Mr. Attorney General, you know you were once accused of improperly handling information, Mm -hmm. saying that you you took home information that was not supposed to be uh, taken out of where it was stored within the federal government. And so, how does that offer and shape your perspective on this? Given you've kind of been through a similar situation, different but similar.
27: Yeah, now look, and these were personal notes. They were not stamp classified or anything like that. These were personal notes of a meeting that we had with congressional leaders over a, a highly classified program. Uh, and yes, it was an investigation because of the fact that that, uh, that they were stored in my in my private office in in, in the and in, in the department but it wasn't the right kind of safe so the the lesson i get from that is People take this seriously, and they should take it seriously. So prosecutors take it seriously. Investigators take it seriously. And no matter if something you know, isn't that big a deal, I mean, we're, we're talking about, in my case, documents that weren't even stamped, and they, they, they were sim- simply a written summary of a meeting that occurred involving congressional leaders where we talked about a classified program. And there wasn't, there was no discussion or description of the classified program, but simply a recording of what the congressional leaders said in response to what we were telling them. So again, the point is, this is serious business, uh, and sometimes you, you know, you, you're not as careful as you should be with information that uh, is cl- that is classified, whether you you know it or not. And I think that's good because. Uh, this information could be damaging the national security of our country. It could be proved dangerous uh, to people that we have out around the world that are helping us collect information. So that's the lesson that I get from, from my experience. But we also, again, it's very important for your listeners to understand facts matter tremendously in the discretion and judgment of prosecutors. If they're different prosecutors mm-hmm. uh, uh, as to whether or not what happens with in the President Trump's case and uh, may be totally different than what happens with respect to President Biden's case. Okay, so having said that, as someone who has sat in okay. this seat, does this
2: hinder, compromise, uh, or change the equation for Merrick Garland when it comes to the possible prosecution of Donald Trump? Does it put him in a tougher position to prosecute Donald Trump?
27: Well, again, um, as a human being, it might. But as a prosecutor and as the attorney general, there are different cases. Okay. You've got to look at the facts of each particular case. Right. Try to exercise your independent judgment as to what is the right thing to do in the interest of justice. Mm. Thank you. That was wide attorney- ranging. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was great. Uh, thank you. We really You're the perfect guest
2: to have for this. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. We really appreciate you coming on. Be well.
3: That's a good distinction there at the end, because that is something people will ask is how it affects his his thinking. And he's saying as a human, I get it. But like as a prosecutor, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Hmm. All right. Now that Republican or House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is the House Speaker, it's time for him to make good on promises potentially that he made to some GOP hardliners. McCarthy was elected speaker on a historic 15th ballot to clinch that victory. But in the days leading up to that, he made numerous concessions to conservative lawmakers who were responsible for the reason it took 15 votes to get there. That includes on key committees, pivotal roles, some that have now been assigned as they were yesterday. So here with this morning's number is CNN's senior data reporter who's actually looking at all of this, Harry Enton. And Harry, you know, we heard from some Republicans who say he didn't promise anyone specific seats, but we kind of saw that came to light yesterday.
16: Yeah, so this morning's number is, it is six because Republicans who once voted against Kevin McCarthy were assigned key committees either on financial services or appropriations, the power of the purse. You know, we can see some of these lineups right here. We see Michael Cloud giving appropriations, Andrew Clyde appropriations, Andy Harris appropriations, Andy Ogles financial services, Byron Donald's financial services, Ralph Norman as well, financial services. Again, the power of the purse, powerful committees. Now, the idea essentially, okay, were these guys rewarded? Well, take a look when these six, six holdouts changed their tunes in the speaker race. Voted for McCarthy on either the 12th or the 13th ballot, by the 12th or the 13th. Look at that, six. Compare that to those who held out and then didn't even vote for McCarthy. They voted present on the 15th and final ballot. None of those folks, none of those folks were given the key committee assignments. So that gives you an idea that there might've been some wheeling and dealing. Now, how conservative are these folks? Well, we can get a good idea of that by looking at what percentage of the time they voted against Biden in 2021, 2022. Look at these numbers here. All between 93, 93, 94, 95, and 97%. Only Rep Ogles does not, in fact, have a voting record, so he's not in that group. But clearly, these are very conservative hardliners. Of course, there is also some things that Kevin McCarthy wants to do with concern to Democrats and their committee assignments. So take a look here. Democratic House members who Kevin McCarthy wants to kick off of their committees. Elon Omar, he wants to kick off of foreign affairs. Adam Schiff, intelligence. Eric Swalwell, he wants to kick off of intelligence. So McCarthy is really doing a lot with concern to committee assignments. Of course, one little last nugget with concern to Adam Schiff. Look, he may not be in the House for very much longer because the fact of the matter is he has his eye on running for the California Senate race in 2024. And in my mind, he should be considered very high up as his chance to win because he's got 20.6 million dollars in the bank, more than any other of the potential Democrats running in California. Guys.
3: Yeah, that's going to be a fascinating race. Diane Feinstein hasn't even said she's not running for that. Harry and Tin, thank you for those numbers. Thank you.
2: I want to bring in now former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who is now a senior CNN political commentator. Good morning, sir. So we've got a lot to, to uh, talk to you about uh, this morning. I think, listen, for, uh, we'll get to Santos and all of that. You heard our conversation with the former attorney general there. Do you think that the, the, the public at home, do you think they see the distinction between the Trump documents and the Biden documents, or is it all one thing to them? And what do you make of the discussion? He says, as a human being, um, it may put, you know, you know, the, the attorney general may think differently uh, uh, about whether he would prosecute or not. But as the attorney general, he's got to do his job.
21: Yeah, I think I mean, I think what he says is accurate. So first off, if you are you know, the good thing is law does nuance. Right. The law does differences. The law can look at kind of differences in what was intention and that matters politics doesn't do that very well. Politics, everything kind of blends together. And what we've learned in the last few years is if you can just throw enough doubt on the wall, that's enough to kind of win your case. So I think from a human perspective, yes, I, I think, you know, for Attorney General Garland, he's going to continue to prosecute, uh, even if uh, the Joe Biden case, if necessary, correctly politically this is very especially the second batch I mean goodness very damaging for the uh, for the current president and uh, does a lot to throw a lot of cloudiness into the whole uh, narrative here that's going on
3: yeah the White House will still be facing questions on that today but when it comes to what's happening on Capitol Hill and and some of these Republicans who were initially not voting for Kevin McCarthy then they voted for Kevin McCarthy then we saw them get Pivotal critical seats on big committees yesterday. What is your reaction to people where it seems like they are getting seats on these committees in exchange for their votes for him as House Speaker?
21: So I'd like to pull the curtain back a little bit. And, uh, you know, Caitlin, I know you've been following Congress for a long time. And you remember some of these dynamics for the last 12 years since I've been in, which is every time we get to something that is going to be tough to pass, but has to pass or a speaker election. What ends up happening is this group called the Freedom Caucus. I call them the Freedom Club. They like to hold out and they know and actually they're quite effective at it. They know that leadership needs their votes and they'll extract anything. And I knew after the first ballot that Kevin McCarthy would be speaker because he would give up anything to become speaker. They were very smart in terms of the politics of this to hold out and extract things that the Freedom Club never would have gotten otherwise. They never would have gotten what we called A-committee assignments. Now, here's the problem. The so-called moderates, I'll just call them kind of the regular Republicans, uh, the Tuesday group Republicans, they have as much or more power than the Freedom Club does. The difference is, because I was part of this group, we don't like to blow the place up. Like we, we generally are the ones that want to work as a team and get along. And so we are always outmatched because when it comes to things like taking hostages, the one that's the most powerful is the one, pardon the pun, that's willing to shoot the hostage. And that's the freedom kids right now. And so they were able to extract a ton out of Kevin McCarthy. And unless and until the so-called moderates come forward and do things like vote against the rules, which they didn't do, the easiest vote. They're going to continue
2: to get run over. I'm not sure if you've heard of this guy named George Santos. Uh, we got a hold of his, uh, <laughs> of his resume. And, I mean, honestly, if you look at his resume, I mean, Caitlin and I were looking Are we sure at Are sure that's his, his name? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, we're, we're not, you're not being facetious. Do we know? Do we know if anything on his resume is true? You called for him to, to, to resign, right? And he came after you on Twitter basically saying if we have the tweet, I think he said like, you know, go about it, go on CNN or something and, and whine about it. There, there it is right there. Cry about it.
21: Yeah, go cry on CNN. Yeah, what do you think of, of this? Look, you, here's the other thing about throwing a bunch of confusion on the wall. Uh, I think I heard Kevin McCarthy say, well, a lot of politicians or somebody said, you know, they, they exaggerate their resume. Holy cow, okay, let's be clear. This is not exaggerating a resume. It's a total fabrication. It's one thing if somebody, you know, you see this a lot in military folks. They say, you know, they had a certain job and they didn't. I think that's disqualifying anyway, but people have survived that. It is another thing to have obviously questionable where your money came from. But secondarily, say you were Jewish and then say, no, I was Jew-ish. Okay, come on. And then your mom died in 9-11, then she didn't everything about this guy is a lie that is a fraudulent presentation so if i'm running a campaign ad uh, and i lie i openly lie on it if i say you know the sky is green um they can come after me and and have that pull off the air for being false uh, if i don't note it this guy lied about everything to 700,000 people i don't think he can continue and i don't see how kevin McCarthy. i get it his majority is tight the people decide, Man, about Adam armor.
2: Kinzinger doesn't get to decide, you know, the Republicans in Washington don't get <laughs> to decide, the Democrats don't get to decide, the, the, the New York state Republicans don't get to decide, the people get to decide. That's basically what,
21: his, that's what he's saying and that's what McCarthy's saying. And the thing is, the people didn't decide because they thought he was somebody totally, totally different. It was a lie and a fraudulent election. He has to resign. I think he does end up resigning because I think well, this pressure is going to be too great.
3: Well, you we'll, do? See. we'll see oh, if he does. Okay.
2: Thank you. Uh, go check out his resume, guys. What was it, the volleyball team? Which was? was
3: he, the I don't think that's on the resume, but he, did, he told one of the New York Republicans that he was on the championship-winning volleyball team at Baruch College, but he didn't go to Baruch College. So.
2: Yeah, and, and when you won that medal in the Olympics, you know, Adam Kinzinger, <laughs> that was amazing. A gold. You did a gold, a bronze, and a silver Curtis. all in the same competition. It was pretty great of you. Yep. Yeah. It was great. Yeah,
3: I won a national championship <laughs> at Alabama, too, just in case anyone's Same curious. Same thing
2: here at LSU. Thank you, Congressman. <laughs> Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Investigators still looking for the Massachusetts mother who has been missing for 12 days. A friend of the woman joins us next.
3: More CNN this morning to come after the break.
2: A Massachusetts mother, Anna Walsh, still missing this morning, one week after her disappearance was reported. Her husband, Brian Walsh, has been arrested and charged with misleading police. And we are learning from past court documents that a friend of Brian's father called Brian a sociopath and said that he couldn't be trusted. The couple have three young children, ages two, four, and six. They are now in the custody of the Massachusetts Department of Children. And families. Meanwhile, investigators continue their search for evidence in Anna's disappearance at several locations around Massachusetts. I want to bring in now a friend and a colleague of Anna Walsh, Pamela Bardi. Pamela, thank you so much. I'm sorry that you're having to deal with this. How are you doing,
23: Don? Good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me. We're in gratitude to be here and to shed some light, God willing, on this on this story.
2: Before we get into the details, and I'm
23: doing okay.
2: Before we get into the details, talk to us about Anna. What, what is she like?
23: An absolute radiant spirit. The kind of person that when she, you walk into a room, you just feel her energy. She is all about elevation. She's a brilliant businesswoman and what I like to call a supermom. And that's exactly what she's been. And knowing her on a professional level, that is literally her whole essence of being. And when I saw all of this that was happening, my stomach went upside down. Just knowing her, even from a business setting, just hurt my heart and everyone around the world. Yeah. Um, Brian Walsh told police
2: that Anna told him that she needed to fly to Washington for a work emergency. You know, he says he last saw her, I think on January 1st. and You know her line of work. Does that surprise you that she would need to travel during the holidays?
23: So being in the real estate industry, unfortunately, there are times where emergencies happen, right? So she was a regional manager dealing with a property management, commercial property management company. So, yes, sometimes things do happen. It is a little bit fishy because in a corporate setting, Usually there's some backups there, but it is not really that surprising that something could pop up because real estate's that type of industry. But at the same time, it is a little bit sketchy that it was within hours.
2: So let me follow up on that, because she she worked in D.C. Would her kids ever go with her? Did she or her family ever consider
23: moving there? So my. Friends who are very close friends of hers have told us that basically she would be in D.C. Monday through Friday and she would travel back home on weekends to be with her husband and her children. And that was my understanding of the whole scenario. Now, she used to be one of my colleagues um, in EXP Realty. So she basically ran a real estate team up here in Boston, and then in March of 2022 decided she wanted to take on a corporate position and head down to DC. And so that I kind of found a little bit surprising that she, you know, it was kind of seemed like a very uh, sudden decision with her. Uh, But, you know, we thought it was just something she wanted to do with her career. And she had corporate positions in the past. So we didn't think really anything of it. But, you know, what I did find a little bit strange that, you know, Kind of going to a brand new city, being there Monday through Friday, and kind of only coming home on weekends was a little bit odd. But you know, we just figured, hey, that's what she needed to do. That's what she chose.
2: Okay. No. So then she, I guess, there was an indication that there were some changes coming in her life, and I'm just wondering that was there ever an indication that things at home were not okay.
23: So my understanding of it now, the thing is when. Anna, she has been a power woman and just a businesswoman as long as I've known her, right? mom and all of the things. She never talked about anything personal. She never talked about pain. She never really talked about her husband much, right? It was all about her kids and business and elevation and how she could help other people. So to me, she's very similar to me as a person that, you know, we're just— always elevating, always grinding, and always positive. So I never saw any, personally, never saw any indication of any issues at home, but maybe there was some type of avoidance there. You never know.
2: Well, Pamela, I want to thank you. I know that you're concerned about her three children, so we wish only good thoughts and only good things. here. So thank you so much, okay? We really
23: appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Don. We appreciate it.
3: It's got to be tough for her to come on in and talk yeah, about
23: that. I don't,
2: you know, I don't know what to say with this one. I have so many thoughts, but yeah. probably not appropriate for right now.
3: Yeah, and we'll continue to cover it closely in those updates. Also this morning, any moment now, the Labor Department is going to be releasing a key inflation report. Everyone is watching this in the weekly jobless claims. We're going to bring you those numbers ahead, so stay tuned.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to CNN this morning. The agenda for the new Republican House majority coming into focus. We're going to talk to Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley about what to expect in the next two years. The man suspected in the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students is set to appear in court today. We're live in Moscow, Idaho. A system failure at the FAA causing more than 10,000 flight delays and over 1,300 cancellations. A we'll look at how disruptive yesterday's nationwide ground stoppage was. Straight ahead.
3: And just into CNN, the Labor Department has released a key inflation report in the new jobless claims numbers. We're going to discuss this with who better? CNN's chief business correspondent and anchor of Early Start, Christine Romans. I want to just say before you tell us what these are, these are really important because it's before February
6: 1st and that next decision from the Fed. What are they? It shows that in December, inflation was easing. Those rapid price spikes that we've been concerned about are slowing here. Overall, year-over-year, price inflation, consumer prices, this is what you pay at the grocery store, up 6.5%. Still very far from the Fed's target of more like 2%, but this is six months in a row of slowing. The trend is your friend, and the trend here is showing peaking in inflation. And from month to month, a decline in prices. That's a really important number there. I always like to show this chart because it can show you more than just one month. You can see that six-month turn here where prices, consumer prices, still too high, but they are still. Starting to slow. Let's dig inside these numbers because depending on what you're spending your money on, you're still noticing it. Gas price is a big part of this. Gas prices fell year over year. Gas prices fell month to month. So that heat in the energy market has cooled, and that's a really big part of this uh, story. But food, still a problem here. Food prices year over year up 10%, month to month also rising, and shelter. Also still running a little bit hot here. And this is why this is still a concern, inflation is, because you can't, you know, switch month to month where you're living, right? And you can switch cuts of meat. You can do things as a consumer to change your behavior a little bit on those food prices. But shelter is is sort of sticky inflation here. We also saw jobless claims, guys. Still very low. 205,000, down 1,000. What is that number? It's the first time applications for unemployment benefits, again, that trend. Um, that shows me, despite the headlines you hear in financial services from Goldman Sachs, from Amazon, uh, some places in tech where you're seeing big layoffs, overall layoffs remain very low in this economy.
2: You mm. see the price of foods. food. Food. I hear from everybody, yeah. people I didn't expect to hear from. about thought, eggs, why are
9: eggs
6: Egg, so expensive? Eggs are up double digits, and yeah. that is so interesting as well. But uh, the overall inflation story improving a little bit with still, again, a long, long way to go here. But in the right direction. In the right direction.
3: And we'll see what the Federal Reserve, how they see this. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Christine Roberts. Welcome. Thank no one better.
2: You. <laughs> Thank you. House Republicans spotlighting the issue of abortion as they begin to roll out their legislative agenda in the new Congress. We're going to speak to Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley about what we can expect over the next two years.
15: Next.
3: Welcome back. House Republicans now using their newfound power to underscore their opposition to abortion rights, pushing through legislation that could subject doctors who perform the procedure to potential criminal penalties. We should be clear, this is an effort to appeal to their base. It has no chance of passing the Democrat-controlled Senate or getting President Biden's signature, but it's important on the messaging front. This is only the second bill they introduced since they took the majority. This one would require infants who were born alive after an attempted abortion to get the same protection under the law as any newborn. It also threatens medical providers with up to five years in prison for failing to resuscitate babies who are born alive during those abortions, attempted abortions. Republicans also passed a separate measure condemning recent attacks on anti-abortion facilities, groups, and churches as they called on the Biden administration to deploy law enforcement to protect those organizations. Both resolutions have drawn ire from Democrats who say they believe that it is attempting to cause backlash for those. Our
17: colleagues across the aisle continue to say the quiet part out loud in their selective contempt for political violence. This resolution seeks to deny necessary medical care from those who seek it.
3: Joining us now is the lawmaker you see there, Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to talk about that yesterday because that was an important moment. But first, I want to talk to you about what we learned overnight about the second batch of classified documents that have been found. Are you concerned about the way that President Biden has handled classified documents?
17: Well, I'm learning about this in real time, just like you are. So I don't have any unique insights. Um, But what I would say is that uh, the president has been moving uh, with cooperation, moving proactively, excuse me, moving with integrity, uh, which is more than I can say for uh, the twice impeached former
3: occupant, uh, Donald Trump. Are you concerned, though, about how long it took to find out about this? Because they found these documents back in November, about a week before the midterm elections. We just now found out that they found them in recent days.
17: Again, the president is moving uh, with he's being cooperative. He's moving proactively. He's moving with integrity. And, um, you know, again, there's there's no no equivalency here. Uh, This is uh, nothing like how the former occupant, Donald Trump, the twice impeached uh, former president moved.
3: Okay, but you're saying, Congressman, you don't have any concerns about how President Biden has handled classified information.
17: I'm learning about this in real time, just like you are, so I don't have any unique insights. Um, I hope the matter is resolved uh, swiftly and expediently. And again, the president has been moving with integrity and being cooperative. Do you
3: think a special counsel would help everyone see that this is being handled appropriately, that decisions are being made by unbiased parties here? Well, you'd have to ask the DOJ that. We have asked them, I should note. Uh, We're waiting to hear more on that, Mm -hmm. on what the decision is there, because that is one that's facing the attorney general. uh, Congresswoman, thank you for answering those questions on abortion and these bills that were passed by the new Republican led majority yesterday. You were quite outspoken. Um, We should be clear. It's a it's a messaging bill. It's not actually going to get passed. Um, But why was it important for you to speak out about what exactly this message was that Republicans were trying to send?
17: Well, let's be clear. Uh, Their bill uh, was not about political violence. It was about denying medical care. And moreover, it seeks to obstruct the will of majority of Americans who have time and time and again affirmed that abortion care is health care. And that was true for ballots uh, throughout the country. Uh, And so uh, I needed to go on the record uh, to make plain uh, that they were seeking to legitimize crisis pregnancy centers, which are shams, which seek to coerce, misinform, and dissuade individuals that are seeking abortion care. Uh, It's to, to dissuade them from seeking an abortion.
3: One of your colleagues who's on the other side of the aisle, Republican Nancy Mace, was also critical of those bills. She said she believed Republicans We're basically going down the wrong track on abortion when it came to that. She did still vote for them, I should note. But she has said that she thinks it's more effective to pass bills when it comes to processing rape kits, expanding access to birth control. Do you think you could work with Congresswoman Nancy Mace on measures like that? Listen, the goal for me is always that of
17: impact and of justice and I'm willing to sit at the table and work with anyone who's committed to that and who wants to govern with compassion for the American people, being responsive to their problems um, and not govern with contempt. Uh, What we see in this second week of the 118th Congress under Republican majority is more of the same. Uh, They are uh, disconnected and removed from the everyday hardships and challenges of the American people. They seem to obstruct the will, to overturn the will of the majority of American people. If they really want to work with Democrats in supporting children, then we welcome their partnership on making the child tax credit permanent, on advancing paid leave, on advancing universal child care, on doing the work of maternal justice.
3: One area where we have seen some bipartisanship this week is on the new committee that has been found focused on China and the United States' competition with China. You actually voted against that committee, even though a lot of Democrats voted for it. Can you explain why you voted no? I voted no because, again, it's, a, it's
17: a, another uh, a sham uh, effort here. It's really uh, clear that this is just a committee that would further embolden uh, anti-Asian rhetoric and hate and put lives at risk. We have enough infrastructure and governance uh, to tackle those issues that we don't need the select committee. And that is why I voted no, because I am afraid
3: that it will embolden anti-Asian rhetoric and hate. So do you think the 146 Democrats who voted yes on it are wrong in their votes? We just see it differently. All right, Congressman Ayanna Pressley, thank you so much for your time this morning on all of these very important subjects. And good luck in your next two years. I'm sure we'll have you back many times. Okay, thank Thank you. you.
2: So the suspect in the murders of four University of Idaho killings is about to appear in court again just as classes resume from winter break. We're live in Moscow, Idaho next. So this morning, the suspect in the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students is due back in court. He is charged with four counts of first-degree murder and has yet to enter a plea. And it's Josh Campbell, live for us in Moscow, Idaho, with more on this. Good morning to you. What's expected to happen today, Josh?
28: Yeah, Don. Good morning to you. The suspect will be in the courthouse behind me in a couple hours' time. This is what's called a status hearing. Now we'll have to wait and see if we learn anything new of substance. But this hearing is an important precursor to what's called the preliminary hearing, where uh, prosecutors may out, lay out additional evidence, additional witness statements. Now, of course, an attorney for Brian Koberger has said that his client expects to be exonerated. But authorities have unsealed already a trove of potentially damning evidence, as we've been reporting on, which includes the suspect's DNA allegedly being tied to the crime scene, as well as police tracking his cell phone and his vehicle which put him in that neighborhood at least 12 times before these killings done
2: so josh you have been hearing from parents and students uh, what is the the mood there
28: You know, there's mixed emotion to be sure. We've been talking to students who tell us that their sense of community, their sense of security here has been shattered. This incident has caused many of them to change their behavior when they're out in public, many going out in public uh, in groups and being more aware of their surroundings. But Don, in talking to students, to parents, to faculty here, one thing is clear, although they continue to grieve the loss of these four college students, uh, there is a palpable sense of relief that the person police believe was responsible has now been taken into custody. Finally, it's worth pointing out that we talked to an official here at the university who said that although an arrest has been made, authorities will be maintaining a heightened sense of security on campus for the foreseeable future. Of course, their primary focus now is on the physical and mental safety of these kids, Don.
2: All right. Thank you very much for that, Josh Campbell.
3: All right. One good story for you this morning is students at an elementary school in Minnesota are on a mission to help their friends who are in wheelchairs feel included. We have the details next. today's Morning Moment, there are eight students at Minnesota's Glen Elementary School who use wheelchairs. Their friends who don't did everything they could recently to find accessible equipment for their playground and to find the money to pay for it. Soon after, the principal turned the cafeteria into a disco party to announce an anonymous donor gave the school $200,000. I felt
1: emotionally melted. I don't have any words for what I was feeling at that very moment. When I heard those words, I I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I almost started crying.
3: The kids of Glen Elementary made those 8 children feel loved, making sure they could also play on the playground with them and have those moments I love that term, emotionally melted.
2: I'm using that
3: from now on.
2: (laughs) And I love the disco party right there. I know, to
3: announce it. Thanks to to that donor who who donated all that money so they could have
27: that.
2: You know, and I think it's a perfect way to end the show. We've had, especially considering the meltdown that happened yesterday with the airlines and then George Santos and the documents and on and on and on. It's a good way to end the show. So think about that as you go about your day.
3: (laughs) All right, we'll see you tomorrow. CNN Newsroom starts right now. Bye. That's it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store.